this is the in focus podcast from the hindu hello and welcome to the in focus podcast i am your host g sampad russia's actions against ukraine have attracted severe blowback from western nations especially in the form of economic sanctions while russia has lived with sanctions for almost a decade now the new set of sanctions are decidedly harsher many russian banks have been cut off from the swift transactional system russia registered flights have been banned from eu airspace and assets of the russian central bank are being frozen making it impossible to liquidate them and affecting world trade that involves russian goods or services now it is a truism that in the three decades following the end of the cold war the world has become closer more networked more interdependent a process that's come to be known as globalization but now are these sanctions about to turn the clock back how will the west ensure that all countries from europe to asia africa and in latin america abide by the sanctions what happens to countries that are dependent on imports from russia or for whom russia is a major trade partner will their bargaining power vis-a-vis the developed economies now increase we look for some answers to these and other questions from the economist arun kumar who is a malcolm s adisheshaya chair professor at the institute of social sciences new delhi professor kumar thank you so much for joining us thank you for having me professor kumar there have been a host of severe sanctions imposed on russia now uh, especially from last week starting with the exclusion from swift to freezing of its central bank assets to other related specific sanctions on russian companies oligarchs and uh, russian leaders as well how do you see these measures affecting the russian economy and the life of ordinary russians so sanctions will definitely have an impact and as you yourself noted there has been you know queues outside banks because the russians are very worried about uh, their bank uh, accounts you know whether the money would be available also the ruble has fallen by 30% so in a sense uh, they are already beginning to bite but you know there are going to be short run and long run effects what we are seeing is the immediate uh, effects of uh, sanctions where i think expectations have been affected people are worried about what could happen in the future they are worried that you know exports would decline and imports would continue but there also it's possible that you know a lot of nations which are sanctioned will not be able to send their goods into russia so there could be shortages in the economy and that's why people are worried that there be inflation also because the ruble has declined that means that imported goods would be more expensive so both because of shortages and the decline in ruble uh, inflation would kick up and there be shortages in the russian economy uh, which would be then creating a problem for the russians so all told you know within russia there'll be problems outside as you mentioned there'll be problems because many nations will not be able to trade like what they were trading earlier but the only thing is that russia is supplying items like energy like metals like fertilizer like food which are essential for the world economy so these sanctions you know if they go on for a long time then i think they'll disturb the entire world economy and that would then you know lead to a slowdown in the world economy itself i don't think that would be the intention of the west and that's why you know from europe they are not sanctioning the energy that is exported to europe because europe is 40% dependent on the gas that is coming from uh, russia so there are going to be leaky sanctions because the west would not want uh, 
the entire world economy to get affected. But yes, psychological effect is there. Capital flows are going to be affected. Like for instance, BP has withdrawn uh, from uh, you know it's uh, from the capital it had invested in Rosenfeld of the energy company and SBI here in India is also making noises that it may not be able to uh, send money to Russia. Uh, also, the Chinese seem to be uh, responding because the Chinese companies are worried that they may also get sanctioned, just like it happened in the case with Iran. When Iran was sanctioned, then you know India's trade with Iran got affected because Indian companies felt threatened that they would get sanctioned, that they don't want to lose the bigger market. So I think in the short run, there are a lot of things that are going on. But the question is, in the long run, what would happen? Because, you know, a war economy, when the war is going on for a short while, you know, one can bear these pain. But in the long run, would the pain continue? Would the West want it to uh, continue? Uh, would the Russians file alternatives? Would the Chinese find that, you know, they would have to collaborate more with uh, Russia because they are at this point closer to uh, Russia? So I think what it appears is that there is some kind of a block formation that may take place between the rich nations under the US and the Europe and the other, which may be Russia, China and Iran uh, together, along with North Korea, those countries which have been sanctioned. So I think, you know, what I worry about is that we are returning to some kind of a two block formation, just like uh, during the Cold War. Now, the Cold War was ideological. But this is not really ideological in that sense of, uh, you know, capitalism confronting socialism. Because at the moment that the, the Chinese and the Russian economies also, you know, cap more or less state capitalism. And therefore, you know, it's not really an ideological thing. I think it's more because of the hegemony uh, that is there of USA, which is getting threatened or NATO trying to expand into newer areas and that is what has brought on the conflict. Now, if these things get resolved, then the question is, will these sanctions be withdrawn? Will the war in uh, Ukraine uh, end? And what would happen after that? So that would be a more long-term uh, scenario that one is looking at. Right. You, you, you made an interesting point about uh, you know, an incipient formation of two blocks or economic blocks. We'll come back to that later during the podcast. But before that, I wanted to ask you, you said Russia is allowed to trade in gas and energy, but for because 40% of uh, Europe's uh, uh, liquid, liquefied natural gas comes from Russia. Now, how does it work? On the one hand, Russia is cut off from SWIFT and the central bank assets are being frozen. So how does Russia get paid for the gas it is continuing to supply to Europe? No, that's an interesting question that we'll have to see how that happens. But you see, right from the beginning, the gas that was being supplied by Russia, that was not being sanctioned, you know, and that is because Europe is heavily dependent on this gas. And if energy falls short, then not only the price will rise, but the shortages will take place and the immediate, you know, one cannot substitute with other uh, forms of energy and gas coming from elsewhere. That would take time. So I think that's the reason why this was done. And that's where I feel that, you know, as long as that continues, their system of sanctions would be leaky because not only would they have to be paid, the Russians have to be paid for uh, whatever gas is purchased. And in some form, they would, they would have to be paid. Otherwise, the Russians will just cut it, cut off the gas that would, is being supplied. And that could not be the intention of the Europeans. So how that payment will take place, given that the SWIFT is uh, not available to the Russian banks. And maybe at the moment, you know, 
the the banks which are uh, linked to the supply of gas and its payment i think they have not yet been uh, taken out of swift and out of sanctions they're not in sanctioned and they're not uh, being taken out of swift so i think that may be a mechanism that may be deliberately left under european uh, pressure uh, so that you know the gas supplies continue but yes in the long run because there are you know two major powers that are involved and now there's a massive amount of distrust between them uh, these things will also get reworked as possibly the supplies from other places would be uh, you know found and uh, then you know russia would also have to find alternate uh, sources of getting what they are getting at the moment and the kind of thing that they are getting i think uh, china can step in and supply that to the russians whether it be electronics or electrical items and you know other such things that they are getting from uh, the west so in a sense uh, the long run is probably the more tricky part the short run i think uh, things will work out you know once uh, the public realizes that there's enough uh, money available in the banks and after all you know uh, in, in, within uh, soviet uh, i mean within russia what is going to happen is that you know uh, people will realize that they don't need dollars because they can't use dollars to pay for anything they need rubles and the russian central bank is uh, pumping in enough liquidity into the system that people would be able to get money from the banks i think initially the fear was that maybe the banks could collapse maybe the money would get stuck and that's why the long queues were forming outside the banks right now another point here uh, you spoke about uh, china stepping in now there are some analysts who have pointed out uh, that Uh, the kind of sanctions we're talking about here such as you know cutting off russia from the swift system it could be counterproductive because you are also then sort of preparing the ground for an alternative which is not dollar centric such as swift to come up and if and there are all already reports that china indeed does have an alternative to the swift system and if russia gets on to it and china is already there with the largest market do you think you know russia could get by without being plugged into swift and we are eventually going to be seeing a situation where there is a parallel system which countries can use without having to be dependent on the swift system and you end up with two similar kinds of messaging transaction systems so you are right actually russia already has been experimenting with something called spfs but there are very limited number of banks which are members of the spfs you know unlike swift where there are 11000 banks globally which are plugged in and china has also been experimenting you know with payments in the local currency or in yuan so in a sense uh, these are experiments that have been going on because there's been worry about sanctions and especially the west uh, able to enforce sanctions on countries that differ from it so these things could uh, accelerate and uh, trade with china could continue but at the moment the reports are that the chinese companies are also worried about san- being sanctioned and their trade with the western bloc is much larger than that with the russian bloc but as i said that is a short run thing in the long run i think china is also worried that you know the us and the west are pressing down whether it be the quad or other things where they are worried that they may get isolated over a period of time so i think in the long run a bloc is very likely to form and the the sanctions that have been put on uh, russia that will begin to bite less and less because the kind of things that the russians are importing can be imported from china and uh, china also needs energy and uh, therefore that energy which is being supplied to europe could be supplied to china perhaps more cheaply and there have been plans of uh, 
you know, building pipelines from uh, Siberia into China to transport energy. So th these plans were already there. They probably get accelerated. And therefore, you know, what I see in the long run is two blocks that will get created for trade, for finance, for capital flows. China has a lot of surplus capital at the moment. They have large reserves. So th they can also be used by the Russians, you know, because uh, they'll have a surplus in terms of energy export to China. So I think uh, what I foresee is that given that this conflict involves a superpower on one side and the Ukrainians backed by the West, including the uh, US, I think the two blocks are very likely to form in the coming years. What shape they will take exactly and which countries they'll align with which block, uh, that will need to be seen. But the distrust that has already been created uh, between Russia on the one hand and the Western powers and China on the uh, other hand and the Western powers, I think it's very likely that alternate bloc is uh, going to emerge. Right. Now, and how do you see the sanctions affecting countries like India, for instance, uh, which is dependent on Russia for a lot of things? We are dependent on Russia for fertilizers and also, of course, our defense equipment. How do you think India is going to uh, respond to the threat of wide-ranging sanctions on countries uh, which may uh, continue to trade with Russia? So India would be in a very difficult position because uh, of late, you know, we've been going to uh, USA and the West for our defense supplies, but still 60% of our defense supplies are coming from Rush Russia and especially some critical ones like our Sukhoi aircrafts and uh, other such equipment. Uh, they are, we are heavily dependent on supplies from uh, uh, Russia. So our position is going to be rather difficult and uh, because like, for instance, vis-a-vis -vis Iran, when the sanctions were put, we had to curtail our uh, imports from Iran and find alternate uh, sources of uh, energy import. So this will become very difficult because, you know, th th there are no substitutes for kind of thing that we were getting from Russia. Our defense preparedness, which we were trying to upgrade because of What's happening with the China border? That you know is going to be a critical thing for us. So for us, it's a very tricky situation because we've had good relations with Russia, we've had good relations with the uh, uh, the West, and especially a growing relationship with the West, especially vis-a-vis -vis China. Now the other tricky part is that if China and Russia get closer to each other, because we will not be able to give the support that Russia may need from us, whereas China would be able to give that support and would be willing also because China was also being isolated in the global system with the setting up of Quad and various other things that are happening in South China Sea and vis-a-vis -vis Taiwan. So it's very likely that Russia, our relationship with Russia would probably see a downgrade. And that would be a worrying factor as far as our defense is concerned and as far as the strategic situation in Asia is concerned. Because the West may not step up because we haven't given the support that the West probably expected from us vis-a-vis -vis Ukraine. So we are, you know, caught in a pincer between uh, Russia on the one hand, US and the West on the other hand. So our situation would be very, very tricky. As far as trade is concerned, there are other items that we get from them like uh, fertilizer and some other, you know, uh, things that we get from them. Those, of course, we could substitute by getting from elsewhere. Uh, maybe a bit more expensive. And that would also be the situation for many other developing countries that, you know, whatever they were getting from Russia, they could source from other sources. But our situation is vis-a-vis -vis defense, that's going to be more critical. 
Right. And how do you see oil prices and commodity markets changing as a result of this conflict and as a result of the sanctions? And what does this mean for the common man in, in the developing countries for the most part? So, because of supply disruptions and shortages that will take place in the immediate, uh, inflation will kick up everywhere. Already, you know, there were supply bottlenecks and inflation was high almost uh, everywhere globally in India. For the last 10 months, we've had a wholesale price index going above 10%, a retail inflation at roughly about 6%. So, that will go up and th- that will pinch the pocket of the common man, especially in India where we have a very large and organized sector and where a lot of unemployment has taken place, a lot of loss of income has taken place, there to add to that, if inflation takes place, then, you know, it'll pinch the pocket, lower the living standard of uh, the common people in India. And that will then set back whatever possibilities there were of a quick recovery after the pandemic. And that kind of situation would also be prevailing, I think, in large parts of the other developing countries, which were also just about recovering from the pandemic. For instance, in India, we have just about come back to the 2019 level of GDP, at least officially. So that is likely to be hurt again by the kind of sanctions and the kind of restrictions that may be put on trade with Russia. So global effects will be there and our national effects will be there. Capital also will probably go back more to where it was coming from. So capital flows are likely to reduce. Uncertainty will increase in the financial markets and therefore stock markets may also decline. That would set back investment in the economy. So both from demand point of view and from you know uncertainty, investment could be set back in large parts of the world, uh, which would then reduce the growth rate. So growth rate, not only in the developing world, even in the developed world, the growth rates would come down. So uh, what would happen is that, for instance, in India, the balance of payment would turn adverse because our exports would suffer, whereas imports would increase because of the rise in petroleum prices and rise in gold because people may buy more of gold. So our imports could increase, whereas exports could decline. So we could have a balance of payment problem. Then in addition, because of inflation and because of the difficulties vis-a-vis growth, our budgetary situation could also deteriorate because we have to spend more given the inflation. But in real terms, our tax collections may come down. And therefore, the fiscal deficit could also rise and that could add to the problems of the uh, social sectors where there may have to be cuts. The government, you know, is very sensitive to fiscal deficit and therefore it may cut back on social sector expenditures and that would then affect the poor people. So there are multiple ways in which the poor, as you were asking, would get affected by inflation, by, you know, cutbacks on uh, support that they're getting from the budget, the cutbacks on the social sector expenditures. So in, in other words, the, the common people would get affected adversely. Right. So you're saying, I think uh, from what you're saying, you're saying the balance of payment situation is going to get worse. Inflation is going to get worse. Fiscal deficit uh, pressures will increase, uh, which would mean that social sector spending would see further cuts. None of this is good news, obviously, also because uh, war is never good news. Before we go, Professor Kumar, one final question relating to a point you had made earlier. You had indicated that uh, we might see a return to a Cold War era sort of division into two blocks, uh, not necessarily ideologically 
divided blocks, but uh, more of economically divided uh, blocks. One, first world economies and uh, eco- and third world countries which are aligned with these economies, and another one uh, aligned with Russia, China, Iran, and so on. Two strategically different blocks. Now, in the earlier Cold War era, we saw that this this division of the world into two blocks benefited uh, post-colonial economies. You know, the third world countries, so to speak. Because either of the superpowers and the and the countries aligned with them were trying to curry favor with them, you know, try to get them on their side, so to speak. So, which gave leverage to these, these developing countries. Do you not see something like that happening now? With if if two blocks were to emerge and therefore giving more of leverage and more of opportunities for the poorer countries to sort of uh, you know play one off against the other and get some kind of bargaining powers. Yes, I think you are right that the developing world may get a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, space, and the pressures on them may be a little less. And you know what the West used to call aid, uh, that may come a bit more. However, I think what could also happen, which is a cause of worry, is that you know there, there may be attempts at regime change. You know, interference in the developing world countries from the two blocks could increase. And each one could want some kind of regime change so that regime in the country could be more favorably disposed to them. So while there could be this kind of flexibility, they also I'm worried about the possibilities of regime changes. Also, I'm worried that you see most countries would say that we need a strong leader, and if you need a strong leader, then it might be that you know there may be more authoritarianism, and that would work against the interest of the common people. Finally, I think also what will happen is that we lot more of uh, arming by uh, different nations. You know, there'll be more conflicts that would start coming up, uh, which would mean that the military-industrial complex will do very well everywhere. There'd be a lot of profits in armament sales, etc., and the the degree of monopoly that could be enjoyed by uh, these uh, mono- uh, monopolies that could take place uh, that could lead to further weakening of the position of the common people, the workers. Farmers and so on. So I see that while flexibility may be there, but the internal dynamics in the various countries that may turn adverse to the common people and to the workers. So flexibility that may be there for the rulers may not translate into better situation as far as the common people are concerned. Right. I mean, you spoke about this being a lot of good news for the military-industrial complex, and uh, I, I would imagine that one would need to update that terminology to say military-industrial technological complex because a lot of it has been driven by uh, capital emanating from the tech sector as well. So, Professor Kumar, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. We began by talking about sanctions, and then we ended up talking about regime changes and so on. It's a very interesting subject, and I'm sure we'll come back to it uh, in a couple of weeks or so. As things develop, thank you so much. Thank you, sir. As, as I said, you know, short term and long term is something we need to distinguish. So, short term, what will sanction do, and the long term, what will it imply? That's why I think we ended up with the military-industrial complex and regime changes and so on. Right, of course. Yeah, the time frame will determine what kind of patterns we are able to uh, detect. Right. 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 Thank you so much, uh, Professor Kumar. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks a lot. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.